Hey, and welcome to another episode of Control-Alt-Azure. This episode is sponsored by Solveto. Stay ahead of the game and advance your career with continuous learning opportunities for Azure cloud professionals. Solveto EduHouse, learning as a lifestyle. Start your journey now on eduhouse.fi slash cloudpro. I'm Tobias. I'm back again with Yusi. What's up? Hey, Tobias. I am just back from Dusseldorf. We had the uh, European Collaboration Summit this past week over there. It was the 10th anniversary with about 2,500 attendees and 140 speakers, myself included. It was awesome to, to see the friends, meet the community, hang out at the expo. But I also realize now that my voice is mostly gone because when you spend the evenings enjoying great food and wine, you sort of tend to shout over the background noise you always have in restaurants and in, in open open places with a lot of lot of people who like to speak. Uh, but back home, recovering slowly from those few days on the road, I'm ready for the future episode. All right, that sounds good. On my end, what I've been doing in the last week or so is my spouse, she arranged a surprise party for me on Sunday, bringing some of my family here and a lot of our friends with their families. So. We were perhaps 25, 30 or so adults, and then perhaps another 15 or so kids. So a full house with a lot of fun, blended weather. So we were mostly outdoors, had a great kind of chill time with the, with the grill turned on, got some sushi. And, you know, with all the friends and, and enjoying summer at its best, this was really nice. So the temperature has since dropped, so I guess it was good timing. And that also makes me realize, just to touch on your point there, how much I miss conferences and meeting all the people there. So it's always about the people for me, just like over the weekend, it's doesn't matter what you eat, doesn't matter anything about the rest. It's just meeting people, having a good time, um, having good people around you. So it's it's never about the actual conference or technical sessions for me, it's about the people at the conference. So hopefully 2023, this is a year where I get to go perhaps at least two conferences to meet more people. This reminds me that I read a study a couple of weeks ago that once you're an adult, and if you want to make new friends, get to know new people, it requires about 40 to 50 hours of spending time with, with a said person to sort of get to a level that that you can say that that we know each other or, or we can hang out or, or we are friends. And I feel the conference is, is one of those places where you easily spend a lot of time with people and, and gradually get to know them much better, even if you live in different countries. Alrighty, so today's episode is our favorite announcements from Microsoft Build 2023. So we've done this a couple of times with Ignite and Build in the past couple of years. And, and as it was previously, Build was a hybrid event. So you could travel on site to Seattle or you could attend remotely. I'm happy to say I did neither because I was, I was in Germany at the European Collaboration Summit, I simply did not have the capacity and the time to follow too closely in real time. But what I did do, I went to the Build website and you can actually download the videos and, and have them offline. So what I'm planning on doing, I'm getting the interesting sessions, I'm pushing those to my NAS, the Synology NAS that I have, and from there my Plex media player will pick them up. And then I have everything on the go for me and it will keep track on what I've watched so far and what I'm planning to watch. 
Toby, how is it for you? Are you planning to watch a lot of the sessions or did you already watch a lot of those? I watched zero sessions. I watched about five minutes of the keynote and I, I, it's not my way of learning, right? It's, I learn differently. So again, a conference, if you download a video, I'm, I'm not going to watch the video. It's, it doesn't give me much. So my, my way of learning slightly differs. And usually it's on a need basis. So whenever I need to learn about how to set up the perimeter security or compliance around uh, Azure OpenAI, then I'll start doing the research for that and figure that out. But there was a lot of good stuff. What I really like is the book of news that they published. So you can get that from, from their website as well. We'll put the links in, in the show notes for that. So that's how I do it. I don't go, I don't watch the sessions from home. I don't go to the conference. I wish I would have been there just to meet with people and discuss all the fun things that they talk about at the conference. But for me, the book of news and the Azure updates and like all these kind of summary blog posts from the tech community, that's enough for me to just get the, like the ballpark or the high level picture of what are the key things that were announced? What Like what's the big moving parts that were like game changing? And then I just dive into the areas where I need to do, learn more because I work with it and figure out whatever updated in that in in that area. So for me, that's that's pretty much it. I, I don't have the time or energy or any interest actually in, in just watching the videos for the sake of watching them, unless I'm actively working on that technology in a project with something, then I might go watch the video. Yeah, it makes, makes sense for sure. I quite often watch several sessions, but I'm I'm sort of fast forwarding through them uh, to, to get to the good bits or to the points that I feel I need to learn at that given moment. One interesting insight that I did notice just today, uh, the book of news, it's online and, and we'll, we'll add the link to the show notes. It has the announcements, but now the description for the book of news says these are 50 hero announcements for Microsoft Build, meaning it doesn't have everything. It has the hero, the big, big bits there, but the smaller and often sometimes even more interesting bits. You sort of have to dig through the corporate blogs, the community, and so on. One way for me to find those is I go to techcommunity.microsoft.com and I search for announcing and filter for the past week. That way you get the latest stuff quite easily. Yeah, that sounds good. So I've got a couple of updates top of mind that I want to want to start off with. I'm going to smack two of them together into one because these are, again, the, like like hero announcements, like you mentioned. These are the, the big moving parts that I see as game changers. And the first one of those is the Windows 11 getting Copilot, which I think is very interesting. So it's the same smart assistant thing that exists in, in Edge and Microsoft 365 now and GitHub. It lives within the taskbar in Windows, in Windows 11. And it opens up, if you click it, it opens up the Copilot sidebar where you can then ask things, just like in, in Edge, if you use the, the Bing smart search or the AI Bing, um, you get the sidebar, you can summarize some, you can write something, you can explain text you're reading in any of the apps that you're using. So if you have an app open and you're like trying to figure out what that means, you can use the Windows 11 Copilot say, hey, what does this actually mean? Or what is the purpose of that? Or can you summarize that, rephrase it? And just like having a, a very smart assistant to go, you can also use it to control the computer's configuration and settings. So if you want to change your background and stuff like that, I like that. If it like it's it seems like to to me that this is Cortana on steroids, right? It's a 
it's a very much evolved kind of assistant to your to your Windows machine. And I love that you can integrate it into the system and, and change settings. There's a couple of things I do all the time. It's adjusting my screen brightness. It's the night mode. Uh, and then, you know, do not disturb settings. So if you can now do this more easily with the assistant, that's awesome. But it's not a game changer for me. The auto stuff is a game changer that you can have conversations and have it look into your apps and summarize stuff that you're working on. So I like this because it's uh, just another kind of casing point for the new wave of AI and assistance changing how we work. Uh, <clears throat> and I see that I'm probably going to use that for summarizing architectural documentation, security documentation, whatever I'm working on, and, and rephrase some of the, the stuff we have, find issues in your marketing material, you name it. There's a lot of use cases for that. And kind of the second one in the same bucket is Windows Terminal getting an AI upgrade. And that's also an AI-powered chatbot now that entering Windows Terminal. So again, if you're familiar with, for example, GitHub Copilot chat, the experience, then this is that, but for Windows Terminal. And this is a quote from the website or from the announcement saying, users of GitHub Copilot will be able to take advantage of natural language AI, both inline in, uh, and in an experimental chat experience to recommend commands, explain errors, and to take action within the Windows Terminal application. So it's an AI assistant built into the terminal, right? So I really like that. So sometimes you get these complex error codes. I know we talked in the last episode about a community blog post from the tech community, I think, where someone said, here's how you can use OpenAI or ChatGPT to really understand and digest very cryptic error messages that you may get from you know, working in, in tech. You, you often get that. Imagine you have that now in the terminal. You run a command, you get an error, you're like, all right, what did I do wrong? And you just ask the assistant saying, hey, what did I do wrong? Why did I get this error? What does it mean? And it's going to explain that to you right in the terminal saying, well, you've actually mistyped this command. You should do this instead. So I, th I think that's going to be awesome as well. Uh, so not Azure related as such, but like game changers for how we work generally. So those are my, that's my kind of first update. Um, what about, what about on your end? So I really like the updates that you mentioned here. And just as a sort of a brief insight, which, which personally I find interesting is that all of the AI related announcements from Microsoft in the past couple of months, everything relies around text, you typing something, getting something back. And I'm immensely happy that we're moving back to the keyboard away from the mouse and I can actually have a chat with the different applications and services now because it feels more natural to me. I never got the whole Cortana theory, hey Google things. I don't like talking to machines. I like typing <laughs> with machines. Alrighty, for me, this is um I feel this is related to Azure, but this is also related to Azure developers. So three things Windows Dev Home, Dev Drive, and WinGet configuration. A lot of interesting stuff here. So Dev Home, that is a application that you can get from Microsoft Store. It's open source. And you use that to set up machines, connect to GitHub, monitor and manage your workflows. I assume that's GitHub Actions. Uh, it's open source. It's extensible. It's like a customizable dash, uh, dashboard that you can use to track CPU and GPU performance. And I like that the requirements only require Windows 11 build 
22,000. So that's from late 2021. So you install this from Microsoft Store and you're good to go. You just log into GitHub and you start configuring everything in there. And just before we started recording this episode, I actually did deploy this. So I do have the screen open open on, on my display. And it's it's an application that allows you to pin widgets, connect to GitHub, and also to create a dev drive. And that's the second thing here. So dev drive is a local drive, which is not based on, on NTFS, the, the de facto standard file system on, on, on Windows boxes. This is based on resilient file system or REFS. So the promise is 30% better performance when you use Defender antivirus. And developers can do process and folder exclusions. And this is this is key for me, because what I'm using on all of my company devices, I have Defender for Endpoint as well, and it's fairly locked down. So then I spin up Visual Studio, I do a quick command line tool, I cannot compile that, because that becomes a binary and executable, and Defender for Endpoint, Endpoint goes, well, this is unsigned, it looks shady, it's, an, it's in a temp directory, we are not going to allow you to run this. I have to exclude those, but I cannot exclude them as a local user or as a normal user. So I have to tinker through the policies and fiddle with the local settings. And if with the dev drive and dev home, I can now more confidently and more securely run my ad hoc, let's say clumsy code that I often need, that will be helpful. Uh, this though, DevDriver does require Windows 11 Insider Dev Channel, the latest one. So you need to hop to that side, but Dev Home doesn't require it. And the last bit here is WinGet configuration. So I recall we got WinGet, did we get it last year maybe? Can you recall, Toby? I don't know if it was last year or the year before, but it's it's been out there for some time now and I I love it. Yeah, I use it quite a bit as well. So Winget is a command line tool allowing you to install applications. Uh, and Winget configuration is a YAML file that allows you to configure what applications to install, what dependencies do you have, and what's the desired state for your developer box. So I bundled these three together, Dev Home, Dev Drive, and Winget configuration. Uh, because I feel for any developer doing anything for the cloud, these three are the things you're really going to have. I, I really like that. And I love this, the fact that you can do the, the exclusions for Defender for Antivirus, because that brings up a lot of perhaps fun memories, if you want to call them that. So on my end now, uh, perhaps a little bit more Azure directly focused is a GitHub Advanced Security for Azure DevOps is now in preview. So this means you can natively embed automated security checks into the Azure DevOps platform, allowing developers to uh, you know, secure your code, run secret scanning and you know, secure your secrets and supply chain really without leaving the, uh, the workflow that you're currently in. So essentially what this is, it's just, just uh, within quotes, taking the GitHub advanced security stuff to Azure DevOps. So if that's where you're working, if that's where you're checking in your code, if that's where you live as a developer, you can now bring the security features from GitHub in. Um, and the code scanning, that's finding vulnerabilities in source code. You have secret scanning, 
to discover and identify any secrets and like block developers from checking in or pushing to code repos if it contains secrets, but also to identify existing secrets in the repos. And you have dependency scanning uh, that just finds vulnerabilities in the existing open source dependencies you use. And then you can automate updating alerts uh, for developers and stuff like that. So we're usually familiar with these things if we are developers or if we um, you know, manage our developers and we manage our pipelines. And if you are, you know, even vaguely or remotely familiar with DevSecOps or SecOps, then you probably know about code scanning and secret scanning and dependency scanning, also SAST or static application security scanning, stuff like that. This is just bringing that closer to the developer and closer to your workflow. So again, shifting left, making sure this happens earlier in the workflow if you're using Azure DevOps. Because for some time now, it's been super awesome features for that on GitHub and with GitHub Advanced Security. But some of those things, you had to use specific extensions on Azure DevOps to run it. I've used code scanning, secret scanning, and dependency scanning extensions on Azure DevOps using different tools. In the past, there were some provided by Microsoft, but they were deprecated. Then we used third parties. And, you know, when working with customers, they used third-party components and extensions, and they changed. And like this landscape of always trying to figure out how do you stay up to date? How do you make sure we're actually getting the best security tools ingrained into the system? And that just keeps changing. Now we're getting that natively embedded into our workflows without having to rely on third party, which I really, really, really like because then you don't have to manage any dependencies to third party extensions or solutions anymore. You just put your code in, you continue with your workflow and everything just works as normal and you'll get your report saying, actually, we found something here that you need to take action on. So that's my first Azure specific update. Uh, GitHub Advanced Security for Azure DevOps is now in preview. I really like this. Uh, it's too bad uh, we don't have uh, Panu, who we had a, had as a guest a couple of episodes ago. We don't have him online right now because I would like to ask him questions on this too. Looks super interesting. So for me, on more on the Azure side, this is a big one. Microsoft Fabric and OneLake announcement. And I feel this will require a full episode or two in the future. Let's try to be, bring in a guest who really understands this because this is not my forte. I get this on a consultant level, but I do not get this on an architect level. Uh, so what this is about, Microsoft Fabric is an integrated analytics workloads platform as a software as a service, a SaaS offering from Microsoft. And I feel that it brings together Power BI, implying data flows and all the capabilities in Power BI, Azure Data Factory, so meaning all the ingesting and ETL related stuff, and also all the capabilities from Synapse Analytics. And this makes it a unified platform for handling all of your integration and data analytics needs in one offering. And Microsoft claims this will be price effective, but let's see when we actually get the pricing. And of course, there's going to be an AI component in here analyzing your data. So that's Microsoft Fabric. I haven't had a chance to really look into this yet, but this is definitely something that I will, I will take out for a spin. But then one lake, 
is your organizational data hosted? So it's a bit like one drive, but this is one lake. I, I think you get the pun here. Uh, so it's built on top of Azure Data Lake Storage Gen 2, which has been available in Azure for ages now. But this allows you to share and distribute the organizational data without replicating it. So there's a feature called shortcuts here, allowing you to share data from, let's say, from ADLS to Amazon S3 or Google Storage, for example. And it integrates with Microsoft 365, Teams, and also there's a mention that AI is somehow weaved into this one. Not really sure how, but perhaps it's somehow taking a look at your data and giving you suggestions on that. Yeah, AI is everywhere. And to continue on that train, my next update is Microsoft cost management getting AI. So <laughs> if you're, if you like me, spend quite a bit of time analyzing costs, setting up budgets and budget alerts, and like managing your kind of cloud real estate, with a click of a button, you now get AI assistance for your costs. So there's a button now in cost management in Azure called AI Assistant can help with this. It's in preview, so it's not necessarily in your tenant yet. It was just announced. This means you get proactive insights on your spending. Uh, you can compare with your previous months. You can simply uh, just use the chatbot. It's essentially what it is. It's a chatbot for your cost uh, on your cost data. So think ChatGPT, uh, but based on the data for your cost and your insights and your spending, and with proactive smartness, that is a super update. So gone are the days of trying to summarize your own dashboards to like the exact needs of the meeting that you need to have next week. But instead, you make the AI assistant kind of summarize what you need in the format you need, and you can derive your insights from that based on your actual data. Right. So in the past, you maybe exported that to Excel or you used the cost management tool and you try to derive, you know, some um, analysis based on that. Now, using AI, you can do that in the browser or with the cost management and say, all right, based on the last three months, what is the most expensive resource? And group that by region, maybe, you know, whatever. So I, I really like these things. I really like the conversational and generative AI being part of everything we see now, just trained on different data. So having this trained on your consumption data, your cost and, and spend in Azure will give you the benefit of accurate insights that you can derive from, and it can calculate and summarize that in different ways. And that is awesome. I missed that when I was operating these things, but wow this is a super update if if i had to pick one single update from all of build 2023 this would be it because managing cost is always sensitive and if you manage costs for hundreds of thousands of dollars of spend each month you know you don't have the room to make many mistakes and the more like a small change to how you do things or how you operate or changing the tier or the the skew of a set of services or using reserved instances in uh, in specific uh, areas or regions or specific services, that can reduce the cost quite a bit. So imagine now you're getting the help from AI to summarize, be proactive and say, if you continue like this, you're gonna spend X amount of dollars by the end of the month. But if you do this, it's gonna lower that by $25,000, right? And, and all of a sudden you can see the benefit of that. So super update, super cool. I have a lot of 
experiences with you know managing costs. I have a lot of thoughts on this, but I'm going to leave it at that. I'm going to leave it to you uh, who tune in to try this out when it becomes available in your tenant. It's super awesome. I am anxiously waiting for this to become a public preview because the previous cost management, the major update for me was the insights. But what it did, it analyzed your spend and would simply say, yeah, it seems you're growing 10% in cost. Yeah, not helping at all. I need something more here. So let's see how that works. Um, for me, what I found super interesting next up on my list is Azure API Center. So this is a service you, you spin up in Azure, and it gives you a centralized view and portfolio of organizational APIs. The APIs you manage, the APIs you create. And to me, it feels like API management, but it isn't a new version of API management. This is more like the, the management interface for APIs. It's already in preview, so you can spin it up. It gives you API inventory versions, the specifications, the deployments, the metadata, um, workspaces for distributing those. So again, it feels like API management version three now, but I feel that API management still has its own place because that does a lot of the transformational stuff for APIs and security and authentication and whatnot. This is more about having a singular place to find those APIs and to figure out what goes where. But I'm not sure why it needs to be a separate service because we already had like a central API management place. Yeah, and, and the thing is, we still have Azure API Management and Azure API Center. I think that's part of API Management. So it's it's a new service that's bundled into API Management. So if you already use that, it's not there to replace it. It's just giving you a you know a, a new service to enable uh, you know centralized in, in management of your portfolio of APIs, you know regardless of the type and the lifecycle or deployment location and stuff like that. So yeah, I, I really like that update. That's going to be really interesting to take a look at. And like you say, it's it's difficult right now to know how does it fit with API management? Does it replace it? Does it, you know, what capabilities of what I use today do I need to replace or think differently about? But I, I yeah, I really like that. So the next one for me, and this is my final update for this show, is Azure Cognitive Search. And I quote from the announcement that vector search for Azure Cognitive Search um, the retrieval system for new large language models, or LLMs, uh, is coming soon in preview. Vector search allows developers to easily store, index, and search by concept in addition to keywords using organizational data, including text, images, audio, video, and graphs. So essentially searching across all the types of data you have unstructured. So we will definitely do an episode on that soon because I think this is super interesting, especially if you work with AI and, and LLMs. Um, it offers a pure kind of vector search and a hybrid retrieval, sophisticated re-ranking system, which again is powered by Bing, um, all into a, one integrated solution. So if you're looking into Azure OpenAI, LLMs, Azure ML, and similar things, you will probably want to look at Azure Cognitive Search or at least vector search in some capacity. And, and kind of the backstory there is, what I understand is organizations have massive amounts of unstructured data. And that's kind of hard to act on and make decisions on because some of that is in video, some is in text, uh, some might be in audio, some might be in images. You have the graph data. 
there's a load of different types of data models and a lot of unstructured data. This brings search to that unstructured data in a better way. And uh, so with machine learning, neural networks and LLMs, uh, organizations can then transform the unstructured data into what's called, I think, embeddings, which is then represented usually as vectors. And then vector search operates across these vectors to identify the patterns and kind of quantify the similarities between components of the underlying unstructured data. So again, the future is here. Every time I read an announcement like this, I'm like, whoa, my brain just exploded. The the amount of energy, the amount of visionary thinking in these things is incredible. And it brings me back a few years. I remember starting with NoSQL databases and, and Azure tables instead of SQL Server. And it was like, whoa, the future is really here. And now you think about that, it's like, what was that? Why did we use that? Now when we can just put anything in unstructured data and still search it using you know embeddings and, and vector search, now the world of opportunity is really opening up to us. So Azure Cognitive Search is getting uh, some vector search capabilities. So if you do have da data in there um, in, in various formats, this might be something to at least take a look at. And I know there are different ways or, or different services embedding kind of vector search now, but if you use Azure Cognitive Search, then at least you know that vector search is coming to that as well. This is really interesting. I'll be sure to take this for a spin as well. I've played a bit with the embeddings and, and, and it's not immensely challenging to get up and running, but the missing component has been vector search. So you had to rely on third party platforms for that. So this will be interesting to see how it natively provides that capability. The last one on my list is DevTunnel CLI. So, so dev tunnels allow you to open your local host, your dev box to the internet, and you can control who can access for testing and debugging your web apps. Perhaps you're creating a, let's say, a custom connector for Power Platform, but you don't want to deploy the actual API that the custom connector is connecting to. You don't want to keep on deploying that to Azure because it takes time. You want to run it locally to do debugging. And now with DevTunnel CLI, you, you can open the tunnel between, let's say, Power Platform and your local host and control who can access and who can try this out. So it's for the development and debugging phase of trying to get stuff working. So it works for webhooks, it works for regular APIs, Power Platform connectors and whatnot. Previously, this was available through Visual Studio, but you had to sort of configure it through there. And now you have a CLI that allows you to create these tunnels to expose whatever you're working on to an external cloud-based system, typically, see how it works. I haven't had a chance to try this yet, but since it's a CLI, I'm sure I will, I will give it a spin as soon as possible. Alrighty, those were the updates we had, the, the favorite ones, and I'm sure we'll find more in the coming weeks. A couple of community highlights. Toby, would you like to start with the first one? Yes. So this one is from Denise uh, Schlesinger. It's called Use OpenAI GPT with your enterprise data. So this article explains retrieval of augmented generation using Langchain. I think that's a Python library to query a database using Azure OpenAI GPT 3.5 model and natural language. So again, AI updates. Um, we're seeing a lot of this in the community. 
So use OpenAI GPT with your enterprise data. That's an interesting one. The one that I have is from uh, Joan Van Hout. It's a Dutch name, and I'm not entirely sure if I can pronounce it correctly. So apologies already. Authenticate logic apps against Microsoft's graph using managed identity. This is a highly useful capability because I often hear companies using service accounts or regular Azure AD accounts that do not have multi-factor authentication enabled because it's a service account. And then they run into all sorts of security issues because of those. So switching to managed identity definitely looks. We'll put the links to the community highlights in the show notes as well. The last bit would be the unexpected question. And Joby, I think you have a question for me. Yeah, so this is an easy question, but you can have a lot of answers. What's the best Wi-Fi name you've ever seen? Great question. Um, I've seen so many. In the village where I live now, I can only see my own, own Wi-Fi here. Locally, it could be because of the thick walls. But um, the first time I saw, I think this was in the US, I was, I was traveling for a conference. Somebody had an FBI surveillance van, uh, 5C52 or something like this. I felt that was, that was quite clever. Yeah, I'll, I'll stick with that one because everybody knows, yeah, for sure it isn't that, but it's still funny regardless. Have you seen anything, anything funny yourself? Um, I, I do recall seeing one which is YMCA, but it's not the letter Y, it's W-I as in Wi-Fi. So it's Y <laughs> and then MCA, and that was fun. I did, I did also see Silence of the Lambs, but not, not lamps, <laughs> but L-A-N-S. Yep. So multiple lands, Silence of the Lands. I also saw once LAN down under, uh, which was fun because I was chatting at the time uh, with someone in Australia. Anyway, there's I think there's a long list of uh, really cool, fun Wi-Fi names that I've seen, but I, I never made a note of them. There's, there's one more that I do recall now. That's Lord of the Pings uh, <laughs> that I recall seeing in a coffee shop as well. Fun stuff. Alrighty, thanks for joining us. Uh, take a look at the show notes. Also, if you'd like to give us feedback, we do have the feedback link on the website. The link is also on the show notes. Thanks for joining us. See you next week. See you then.